This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your hosts, Josh Taransky and Clint Clifton. Well, this is the Church Planning Podcast, and we're coming to you live from the Fells Point Compassion Center in downtown Baltimore. Our ever-rotating uh, studio. <laughs> this place is crazy, Josh. Thank you so much. I think I uh, take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, we got an email. Before we even launched our Sunday mornings, uh, my family had moved into town, and we were meeting in my house and building the core team, and... The Lutheran Mission Society said we have a outreach center that's 50 years old and we're going to shut it down if somebody else doesn't come in and run it. So yeah. I took the offer and they, they it was a trade. We would run it for them and they would let us use the building for whatever we wanted. However you want. Yep. I'm yeah. not I'm not sure who got the better deal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder that too. You know, it was it was a huge, it was a big question for us because it was like, is this a waste of a time? Of time? Is this a distraction from what we should be doing yeah. when we're trying to plant a church? And it it remained a question mark in the air for through about three weeks into three months into the actual launch of our Sunday morning services, yeah. and then people started to show up. Yeah, talk um, about a curveball in church planting though. Like you came yeah. here to plant a church. And then someone offered you a fully functioning compassion center. That's, yes. And you had to decide yes or no. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the craziness of church planting right there. It was. And I would I would say it's an overall win. Uh, I think the biggest thing, the compassion center. So obviously people can't see what we're talking about, but it's like, um, it's a, no, let's describe it. It's a storefront that's three stories yeah. high. We're on the second floor that's not open to the public. It's just filled with trash bags of donated stuff. Right to my left here, this is all stuff that's going to be given to single moms, like teen moms who want to keep their babies. It's a bunch of like baby supplies. Yeah. Homeless blankets, leftover school supplies to give to the public schools. I see some underwear. There's uh, a lot of diapers. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. Milk so crates. this place is a mess. But <laughs> it, 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 goes out to people that are in need. So I, the biggest thing that the Compassion Center has done for us is it it clearly communicates to the neighborhood, wealthy and poor, mm -hmm. vulnerable and established. It says to the neighborhood that we're a church that cares about the neighborhood. We're not yeah. just looking for people to come to us on a Sunday, but we're, we're present, active, doing ministry mm -hmm. throughout the week. So um, it's, been, it's been great. The, yeah. s the city loves us. Yeah. Um, the school loves us. They're asking us to do more. Sound like Trump. Everyone loves me. <laughs> <laughs> my hair follicles are beautiful. My beard is the best. Well, yeah. today uh, we're going to do um, a, a sort of one-off episode um, about the biblical rationale for church planting. Yes. And uh, I wanted to talk about this. We're not going to interview anybody today. I want to talk about this because... Uh, it's my experience that a whole bunch of pastors right now think church planting's swell. You know, they're mm. they're pro church planting, very positive about church planting. But still, my observation is not a lot of guys are actually leading their churches to plant churches. Yes. You got any guesses why? Uh, it's overwhelming. 
uh, and the existing congregation feels like you're just going to cannibalize our own congregation. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a big part of it. A lot of churches feel like they're on the edge of yeah. uh, failure. They're yeah. fragile. And so the idea that we're going to like, um, you know, send people away, send resources away to establish a church somewhere else is like, well, how can we do that? We can barely hang on here. So yeah. that's one major reason. I mean, another reason, and maybe the this is the one that isn't so obvious, but but feels really obvious to me, is I don't think pastors really know how to contend for church planting using the scripture. Um, so, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the biblical, you know, the biblical basis for church planting. And yeah, yeah, I think that's a great, great thing for us to give to the podcast audience. Yeah. Um, because it is, it's almost a universal issue. Even yeah. if you want to plant the church, yeah. you've got to make your case to the guy you're on staff with sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you, if you didn't, um, begin the church and you happen to be the pastor of a church that's uh, established, or maybe you did begin the church, uh, and you established it without talking a lot about the biblical basis for church planting and the church didn't intend to multiply early and regularly, then you, you have an uphill battle probably against you. You've already established a culture that, that the congregation is, um, is focused on how to make itself thrive, not how to how to make the gospel thrive in their city or in their community or around the world. So, so yeah, I just wanted to give everybody some tools, uh, for, for church planting, um, uh, for, for biblical rationale for church planting. So, Awesome. So uh, let's start with uh, let's start with a, a big one, and and a lot of these are kind of like this. There's the part of the problem with the biblical rationale for church planting is you can't go the verse that says you should plant churches is blank. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I'll contend in just a minute there is a verse like that, but um, but I, I want to start off by saying that I think God from Old Testament history all the way throughout the Scripture has been about a people for himself. So that means in our modern age, the church, you know, he, yeah. Israel is about a people for himself, you know, a group, a group of people distinct set apart for him. And so we go, go into any community where there's not a people set aside for him. Uh, there God's desire is for there to be a, a holy people, a group of people that are set aside for himself, growing in his likeness all the time. I think you see that you can see that throughout the old and new Testament. So, yeah. so as a fundamental, you know, sort of starting place. But when we get to the new Testament, I think I'm, I referenced just a minute ago, the great commission is a, is a call to start new churches. And, and maybe it's so obvious that we're not thinking about it as a call to start new churches, but I think the great commission is very explicitly a call to start new churches. So when we think about the Great Commission in church planting, there's really like two very specific reasons why the Great Commission is exactly a call to start new churches. And those two reasons are, number one, the things we're told to do in the Great Commission. So you and me are Christians, everybody else in our church, you know, they're, they're following Jesus, they're walking with Jesus. Our church corporately is commanded to baptize, teach, and make disciples. Know that baptism, teaching, and making disciples, we think about that as an... Um, um, you know, very individualistic things, but it's, those are all community and ongoing things. So the baptism, we think of baptism as a person going underwater, but it's way more than just that, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's more than that because it's the entrance into the family of God. It's like the public way in which we say we're, so in that way, it's kind of like a marriage, you know, it's like a public declaration of something that's, 
that's inside. And so being baptized into a congregation is being, you know, it's the front door into the congregation to this ongoing familial relationship. So, so that's one, uh, teaching, obviously teaching is not something that's an event. It's not something we do just once the teaching ministry of Haven city church is not just a one-time thing. Um, and then making disciples obviously is something that's uh, ongoing, making ongoing learners. So all the things that we're called to do in the new Testament are, are ongoing things in regard to the great commission. Yet we picture the great commission as something we go and do. And then we kind of come back home. Right. Yeah. And what you're saying is like, Hey, let's interpret this passage with like hermeneutics 101, which is, how did the intended original audience hear this? Like they would have understood what Jesus was commanding in their Jewish context. It all would have happened in a community, right? A spiritual community that was gathering. So not just that, I think about this in terms of like a, a, by way of illustration, when you're, when you're um, communicating about the great commission, you're, you got to remember that Jesus was communicating about the church and the great commission but the church didn't exist and it wasn't established. And Jesus was talking to a group of guys that couldn't conceive of it exactly in the way that that Jesus had in mind. And so he was describing it rather than just saying, go do it. So why Mm. didn't Jesus say, go start churches or go plant churches? Well, because they wouldn't have understood what he was talking about. Jesus had to describe it. So he described it in terms of making disciples, baptizing and teaching. That is the substance of the church. What organization out there doesn't, uh, what organization out there does that? The church does that. No other organization, the Compassion Center, the Kiwanos, the Elks Lodge, they don't baptize and teach and make disciples on an ongoing way. It's only Jesus's church that does that. And so when Jesus said, go baptize, teach and make disciples, he was saying, go make churches. Um, The second thing about the great commission that we know uh, is, you know, solidifies for us. The great commission is very squarely about starting new churches is just what you just mentioned. The original hearers of the great commission, the apostles, they heard what Jesus said and their response was to, Mm. to plant new churches. Yeah. So Jesus's apostles heard him say, go baptize, teach and make disciples just before his ascension. And they turned around from that conversation and they went out and did what we read about in the book of Acts. We hear what Jesus says, go baptize, teach and make disciples. And we turn around and go on a two week mission trip Mm -hmm. or we turn around and fill in the blank, whatever we would call the Great Commission. So there's a huge difference there between between uh, turning away from Jesus's words, go baptize, teach and make disciples and going and establishing churches as opposed to going out and doing ministry and then coming back home. Yeah. Kind of like a flywheel because you've got Jesus describing what a healthy church looks like, but then you're going and doing it and it's starting new churches. That will be what that healthy church looks like. So it is a um, circular argument in a good way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, that's, that's great. And, and and we look at the hi- early history of the church, and I, I do think there's authority in the description of what these apostles did. Yeah, what they for set sure. Up. Yeah. For sure. They set, out, they set out to establish the church, and they did. And the work that they did in those years following Jesus' great commission um, resonates to this day uh, as we stand on the second floor of the Compassion Center. I mean, we're still, yeah. we're still doing the thing that, that he sent us out to do. And we like to think of the gospel spreading the world uh, around the world like on the backs of missionaries. 
but it really the missionaries were just the lines between the two churches you know yeah. a church sent them and they went and established churches and so it's like this this connected interconnected web rather than it is these like straight lines that's really good um so every time the gospel goes somewhere it roots itself in a community through local churches and so so church planting is the normal and natural movement of the gospel around the world to to not just go to a place but to go and grow roots in a place so it so it stays in that place for a long time so you see the great commission is like the central passage we can point to um about church planting when jesus said go baptize teach make disciples he was saying go start churches Another thing, though, is that Jesus himself, I mean, you just think about Jesus as a as a figure, as a character in in the scripture. He was a church planter. I mean, mm. he on two levels, Jesus was a church planter. Like he's a church planter because in a cosmic way, like in a very big way, he came and brought Jesus's church to the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, he brought his own church to yeah. the world. Yeah. So so he came and brought the gospel to the world, established the church in the world. Jesus did that. So he's a he's a you know, big C church planter, unlike any of us that would ever start churches. He, he did it in a, in a big way. Uh, but also he was a local church planter. I mean, you think about the things that went on, it, you'd be hard pressed to make a theological or biblical argument that what Jesus was doing, there wasn't a church, um, gathering those guys together, <laughs> taking the, yeah the communion with them, um, baptizing, yeah. teaching them, um, all the things that uh, that a local church does were happening there with Jesus and his apostles. And then they went out and spread the gospel around the world. So in essence, Jesus was a pastor of a small church that multiplied a lot. Yeah. Can I add to that? Sure. Because the, so the didactic teaching of Jesus where he's commanding, like this is what it looks like to be a member of uh, the kingdom is so um, community based. Like you're going to practice or, or you're going to exemplify being a follower of me, a true disciple, like the the warp and woof of being a follower of Jesus is doing community, so yeah. being a spiritual community. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus is a church planner. The Apostle Paul, for sure. I mean, obviously, we think of him as a church planner. Yeah. If we think of the New Testament and church planting and we do have something biblical to hold on to, it's it's Paul, right? Um, so his commissioning in Acts 13 uh, marks the beginning of this like incredible church planting streak. He just <clears throat> he just is out going from town to town and community to community. Over the course of 13 years, he embarked on three missionary journeys, um, traveled over 7,000 miles, planted during that time, just ones we know about uh, from the scripture, 14 churches during that mm. incredible streak. So um, Paul was literally just going from place to place and starting starting new churches. And then um, after it was on his version of Rooted, sometimes it didn't seem rooted to me, but he gets up and he goes somewhere else, you know, what seems like to me way too early. Yeah. Um, and so, so Paul's a church planter. Um, uh, the apostles were church planners. I mean, you look at all, all of those guys and essentially what they were spending their life doing after hearing the Great Commission was was planting churches. And mm. so you have all these major characters in the New Testament. And I, by saying characters, I don't mean to make it seem as if it's storybook and not real. It's very real. But all these right. personalities in the in the New Testament, and they're all focused on the same thing. The most important figures in the New Testament were establishing Jesus's church in various local places. Mm, mm. That's really good. 
Yeah. Re- Revelate. Can I just uh, maybe you're going to say this already, but like when we get to the book of Revelation, Jesus looks back yeah. and it starts. He commends seven churches, yeah. local churches. So it's like Jesus is giving a stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Acts was wrong, if Paul was wrong to mm-hmm. establish these churches, then Jesus wouldn't have come along yeah. and said, this is, you know, yeah. this is who I'm writing to. Yeah, you've got you've got the Great Commission telling them to go do it, them stepping out in response to the Great Commission and establishing churches and then the validation of that from Jesus among the lampstands and in, in Revelation. So, yeah, Jesus uh, Jesus uh, was a church planter. The apostles were church planters. Um, the apostle Paul, for sure, was a church planter. And so all of the the New Testament is just this... this uh, <laughs> you know, depiction of the church, the local church being established. And, um, and not just that, but the, the communication of the new Testament itself. Like you think about the letters, those letters were letters to church planters. Um, and so you just got all this stuff. So it's almost like it, I think of it a little like the Trinity, you know, like church planting is such a part of the fabric of the new Testament Mm. that it's a little hard to point at it and say, Oh, there, there it is is. because it's just everywhere. It's the whole thing. Um, Mm. in the same way, the Trinity, you're going to have a hard time finding, uh, you know, a verse that says, you know, that God exists in three persons, but, but you, um, we read the new Testament. That's the, the understanding we walk away with about God. That's really strong. That's yeah. a good, that's a great point. Yeah. Keep and going. Then, yeah. And last, I, I think, um, you know, too, this is, this is part of kind of what we know already about the scripture, but sometimes it's just connecting the dots and really just saying, oh yeah, that's church planting. Uh, the book of Acts alone, there in the book of Acts alone, there are dozens and dozens of stories and references to church planting, to people going and establishing churches. In fact, the book itself is the the story of the founding of the church, Big C Church. Uh, but it, we see that story play out in the founding of many small C churches. You know, lots of churches begun in the New Testament. You got Jesus um, sending his apostles to plant the first church in Jerusalem in Acts 1. You got Philip preaching the gospel in Samaria and um, and members of the church at Jerusalem going to share the gospel elsewhere and like Acts 8. And then you got Paul, the greatest missionary the world's ever known, being converted from a church persecutor to a church planter mm. in, in Acts chapter 9. And then Barnabas sent by the church at Jerusalem to plant and lead the church at Antioch in uh, Acts chapter 11. Paul and Barnabas together in Acts 13 going sent out on those missionary journeys we just mentioned a little bit ago. And, um, and then... And then all the way through into Acts 14, just the church continuing to be established. And I love this. There's this passage in uh, Titus 2, not Titus number 2, but Titus also uh, in chapter 1, like verse 5, where um, Paul Paul says, put in order what remains. He's um, leaving uh, Titus in Crete, and he says Mm -hmm. to him, he says to him, go up, put in order what remains. We've, we've evangelized here. We've won some people to Jesus. Now I want you to take those people we won to Jesus and put mm-hmm. them in order in every town by appointing elders. That's, that's his, his yep. like, um, the method by which they should put things in order, put the kingdom of God in order there by organized people by town and by church and giving them church leaders. Mm-hmm. elders. And so like there's the the new testament is just full of conversations about the establishment of local churches and so 
we should have no problem based on those things alone, communicating to the people in our congregation the biblical nature of what it is that we're leading them to do when we're trying to get them to step out and plant new churches. Mm. So a pastor listens to this, and it's like, okay, I know all those verses, and I agree with your assumptions that the Great Commission is the greatest endorsement of church planting. But they're looking at their congregation. They're saying, well, I'm already— doing the great commission here in in my church yeah. and now you're asking me to think about somebody else's church you know yeah. that that i'm not going to lead um but you're saying no 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 if we're reading this and we're thinking a, a bigger picture and and our church fulfilling the great commission beyond who gathers with us on sundays yeah who's in our small groups if we're gonna we're gonna do the great commission in our city and around the world yeah it's got to be including this concept of multiplication or, or starting the next church. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, um, I think the way we think about that is Ephesians 4. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as shepherds and teachers. And when you think about that spectrum, as your church grows and matures and becomes established, people with all of those gifts emerge in the church. And those apostles, those are the people in the local church who have the impulse to carry the gospel to other places. They're the sent ones. They're yep. the ones who are going to go. And so beginning to pray from the very beginning of your time as a pastor at a church that God would um, illuminate some apostolic type guys or gals in your congregation that would have a burden for an interest in the spreading of the gospel in another place. Because it's pitting those two things against each other isn't helpful. Like we should build the church locally. We should help people grow in Jesus locally. But we we have to do that also recognizing that our church shares the responsibility, just like we share the responsibility of teaching our people locally. We also have the responsibility of, of carrying the gospel to places where it's not it's not yet made it. And, um, and so, so the, both of those things are really important. And I think as the church matures and people begin to emerge, but uh, I, most pastors, I don't think are playing an active role in that. I, I think they're playing a really passive role in that. Mm. If somebody were to emerge out of their congregation and say, God's calling me to go, they, they'd say, okay, go to seminary. You know, mm -hmm. they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't kind of have a, a category for how their church could participate in that. Um, rather than actually drawing people out of the congregation saying, who is it? God is calling someone from here to go. We know God's given us the responsibility as a church to spread the gospel, no matter how wealthy we are or how resourced we are, or how big we are as a church. We all receive the Great Commission in our Bibles, you know. So mm. so if that's true, how is it that we take that that responsibility, even as a church of 30 people or 50 people or 100 people, how do we take that responsibility and act upon it in order to worship and honor God? Well, someone has to emerge that's be willing to be the sent one. And when that person emerges, what do I do? Do I embrace them? Do I prepare them? Do I equip them? Do I mobilize the congregation to support them? Or do I say, yeah, our church isn't, isn't strong enough for that. Mm. And, um, the, the pastor that says our church isn't strong enough for that is the pastor that believes that he is responsible to get the resources together for that. Mm. And we all know like, God equips those he sends. God call those he calls, he he provides for. And so for us to be the pastors that are full of faith that say, yeah, if God's calling you, then God's calling us to to support you and send you. And I don't know where we're going to get it, mm -hmm. uh, but we're going to support you. I, I'll never forget I, when I was um, a teenager, these kinds of ideas like really um, impacted me in my church because I remember... Um, I remember my church was um, starting a church when I was just a teenager. I was like 15 or 16 years old. 
And, um, and I remember this church planner that we were working with, he, he said, um, he came to our pastor and said, Hey, I, I feel like God's calling me to do this work with somebody else. He's calling somebody else to join me in this work. Hmm. And, um, and my pastor's response was, well, I didn't know how we're going to pay for one. So I don't know how we're going to pay for two either, but praise the Lord. Well, let's do it. And his response was like, yeah, I don't, we can't do any of this. You know, none of this is, is going to be accomplished because of our ingenuity or our resourcing. It's all going to be accomplished because of God's work. So, Mm. um, so yeah, I I just think it's important for pastors to have that posture that is very uh, uh, pro pro church plan. I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding you correctly and that this is really clear. So, be having been around the church for a while, there's oftentimes this um, this mentality where we want to kind of put people in categories and be like, oh, you know, that pastor over there, he's really got a heart for missions. Yeah. You know, he, that's the missions guy. Yeah. You know, and oh, that guy over there, that's Clint. You know, he's the church planting guy. Yeah. But what the case you're making is that a biblically healthy church yeah. should look at the Great Commission and be a church planting yeah, church. Let me, let me be as explicit as I can be about it. I, I think the church that is not actively seeking to multiply the gospel through church establishing churches is sinning. Mm, that's explicit. Yeah. I mean, I just don't. And, and I think I could support that biblically. Like uh, essentially what I'm saying is if I were to say to you or to any evangelical pastor, is the church that, that ignores the great commission sinning? Most pastors would say, well, yes. And if I were to say, is the church that ignores church planting sinning, they would say, well, no, there are other ways to fulfill the Great Commission. No, there are not. Hmm. The Great Commission is a call to start new churches. There are not other things we can do. It's um, We've made the Great Commission mean so much that it means nothing now, you know, right. or almost nothing in the, in the yeah. ears of an American Christian. Uh, but the Great Commission is a call to start new churches. Jesus said, go baptize, teach, make disciples. Churches baptize, teach, and make disciples. No other organization does it. That's the church. Yeah. When Jesus said, go baptize, teach, and make disciples, he just as soon could have said, go make churches. Yeah. No, that's that's really strong. And and you're also, uh, like, you're um, accommodating the guy who feels overwhelmed. Like, he yeah. doesn't—that ha- pastor doesn't have to be the expert in church planting. There are great resources that exist. Yeah. And participating in the church planting work can be like we have a partner for our church who he wants to see church planting being taken taking place. He's yeah. not there yet. They're yeah. a big church. They want to have that the systems in place down the road. Yeah. But he's like, today we're going to participate by partnering with a local church yeah. plant that is going to multiply itself probably then faster than we are. You yeah. know, from our big church. I, I here's the thing. I just I, I imagine pastors standing in front of Jesus. And he's, you know, he's asking them in essence, what did you do with the Great Commission? What did you do with what I called you to do? And a lot of them are going to answer by saying, well, we gave to our mission board Mm. or we supported this or that. And I I think of G.K. Chesterton. I know I mention this all the time, but G.K. Chesterton's anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. Just this idea that we have to be responsible uh, for the things that God has given us responsibility for. And he has given every church every church regardless of size or budget or know-how the responsibility of multiplying churches of fulfilling the great commission of going baptizing teaching and making disciples every church has that responsibility so it, it may be overwhelming to you it may f- feel scary to you it may make you nervous about the resources of your church and how good you'll be at pulling that off 
but it is still your responsibility. God mm-hmm. will look at you and say, what did you do with what I called you to do, what I told you to do? And this, it's not like it's one of the many commands of the scripture. These are the last words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven right. to his disciples. Yeah. So like if he wanted to put an exclamation point on anything, it was this. And so just for many of our churches, I just think we sort of outright ignore it or we count our support generally for our denomination or our network as checking that box off. Mm. And I just don't know that God's going to accept that as a substitute. Yeah. I mean, it, what comes to mind, uh, just winding down here, just uh, is that at beginning of Acts 8, that God was willing to let his church go through something so violent yeah. to move the Jerusalem church out into the mission field. Yeah. You know, he allowed the martyrdom of Stephen and the persecution yeah. of the Christians yeah. just to get this happening. Yeah, we don't want persecution to be the thing that finally gets us going. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> please, no. Uh, man, that's 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 encouraging to me personally. I want to go back. Uh, you know, one of our six values in our church is church planting, or I think it's multiplication is the term we use. But man, this is this is good. Just uh, so let me give you some practical stuff before I just like browbeat you and leave you, uh, you know, <laughs> like feeling like a terrible pastor. So, um, one thing you could do is start to educate your congregation on this. Mm. So, um, practical, really practical, um, plan a sermon series where you highlight the church planting movement of the New Testament or the biblical rationale for church planting. Mm. Begin to talk to your people about it. Another thing you can do to soften your people to this is start viewing churches, other churches in your community, especially new churches in your community, as um, allies and not competitors, Mm. meaning that from the platform, when you talk about them, you talk about them with benevolence and joy and anticipation for their growth. So if a new church is starting in your community, then you're saying, man, we want to pray that this church is successful and fruitful. That's a subtle thing that says to your congregation, oh, they're on our team. We're on the same team. Our pastor doesn't see them as you know, McDonald's and a Burger King or a Walmart and Target across the street from each other. We're not competitors. We're actually working toward the exact same goals in our community. So I think that's huge. And another very practical way you can do this is, is we have developed a class called the Church Planting Primer that has, um, I know we advertise it on the podcast some, but we, it has some, um, some very practical information that you can share with your congregation that is proven to and has in many churches helped churches get uh, their mindset change help their mindset of churches change uh, about this so it's called the church planting primer um, why new churches are needed and how they're started it's absolutely free you can get it on newcityplanting.org backslash primer mm-hmm. you can download everything the vi- if you don't feel comfortable teaching it yourself there are videos uh, with me teaching it if you do feel comfortable teaching it there's a teaching manuscript you can do it yourself um, there's a workbook and powerpoint slides and sort of everything you would need and it's totally free and you should take that and teach your congregation. It only takes four Sundays. There's videos that accompany it, and, and I think if you were to do that, you would see a change in the perception of your congregation about this issue. Really good. Awesome. Well, we appreciate everybody who tuned in, um, and we do. Let's just give a shout-out to the podcast. Um, there's a Facebook page. Yeah, there is. There's a Facebook page where we share the episodes that are coming out and updates, resources, there's the website, uh, churchplantingpodcast.org. Yeah, Sound like you're not confident. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, and there's the New City Network website, which yeah. has a lot of resources that you've created on yeah. it. 
So awesome. Yeah. Really thanks. good stuff. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thanks, Clint. Have you ever had that experience of hearing a great idea? I mean, a truly great idea and thinking, oh, why couldn't that have been my idea? Well, I had that experience recently when I ran across a company called Space Together. Now, Space Together was founded by a church planter, and Space Together is to the church world what Airbnb is to your family. It lets you rent out your church space as easily as Airbnb lets you rent out your home. You can rent out a part of the building for like a specific day and time, or you can rent out the building in an ongoing way in a time where your facility is underutilized. And Space Together has this great technology that helps you take underutilized church space and create new opportunities for your congregation. Now, exclusively for Church Planning Podcast listeners, Space Together is offering um, a $1 posting fee. You can post your space on Space Together for just $1 when you use the coupon code PLANTER. And if you're a church planter that needs space, go on Space Together and look at the places that they're offering and maybe you'll find the perfect spot for your new church. You can learn more about Space Together at their website, spacetogether.com. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review of your favorite podcast app.